Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of John. We'll be reading verses 9 through 18 of chapter 1. John 1, verses 9 through 18. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a father's will, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you into this new year. Lord, we, God, we ask. Father, we beg for your grace. Because we know already on this third day of the year, we've messed up. Lord, we've already stumbled. We've already had thoughts, words, and actions that have displeased you. And Lord, if the Christian life was about resolve, we'd have no chance. If we were honest, we mess up and we blow it on a daily basis, if not an hourly or minute-by-minute basis. But God, you're a God of grace and mercy and kindness. And Lord, we thank you so much for that, and we, we give you glory for that. And Lord, we pray that as we approach your word, that we would come away by your Holy Spirit's power, enlightening our minds with a greater understanding and appreciation for your marvelous grace, how much we need it, uh, how much we appreciate it, how much we love and value you, and that we would seek to be people of grace ourselves. That grace which we would have received so freely, Lord, may we give it and share it just as freely. God, we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
Have you ever been in a situation where you're having a conversation with someone and you're using the exact same words and yet you have the feeling that you're not talking about the same thing at all? You're trying to come to an agreement. You're trying to come to an, to an understanding between you. And, you know, you're both in the same language. You're, you're both talking in English. You're both talking in Southern even. You know, you're, 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 you're both talking in good old Southern English. And yet, somehow, you are failing to communicate between the two of you. I remember the days when Denise and I first started dating. It's uh, been almost 10 years ago now since, uh, since I first came to preach here. And uh, those were interesting times. Uh, the first uh, Sunday uh, was uh, 2000, uh, March of, of 2011, sometime in March. So uh, in two months, it'll be 10 years since I first preached here. Uh, Denise was here that day. I did not get, I saw her, she played, I didn't get to talk to her, because some of you church ladies made her so embarrassed by saying, ooh, ooh, he's single, you need to talk to him, Denise. <laughs> so I didn't get to really talk to her till later, but eventually we, yeah, Mott, that's right, that's, that's good for you to confess. If I could get y'all confessing on other sins like that, this would be a much more interesting uh, church service. Well... <clears throat> You know, uh, we did eventually get to talking, and, you know, one thing led to another. And as we began to discuss marriage, we started talking about a whole lot of different subjects, how we viewed life, because neither one of us was 21 and wet behind the years. We knew a lot of things, you know, and there were the serious things that we would talk about, how, how we believed about our faith and raising children and all these things. But then there were just other things. We were just trying to find out about, about our common interest. And so we'd ask all sorts of things, you know, about our hobbies and, and stuff. And I remember one specific day, I just happened to ask, well, what do you think about camping? Do you like camping, Denise? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because either you know the story or you just know Denise. And she said, oh, yes, I like camping. And I said, I like camping, too. So I thought, wow, isn't that something we both like camping? Okay, so that conversation assured us that there is something that we have in common that we like camping. Well, you know, I just kind of filed that one away. We weren't, you know, we weren't married yet, but hey, once we get married a few months later, we're going to plan some family camping trips, and this is going to be fun. Little did I know that over here in Tim's brain, I was thinking, hey, me and Caleb have been on lots of Boy Scout camping trips. That is, you go, you pack a bunch of junk in a backpack real quick, you know, that you get it at a Dollar General or something. You throw a, some backpacks and a tent that barely works. And, you know, you, you, know, you just kind of jump in there and you go and you suffer, but it's just great, you know. And, and she was thinking of her father's very wonderful, high-priced RV, you know, and all of the comforts of that RV. And come to find out, she doesn't eat anything outdoors. If there's not a roof overhead and walls, she doesn't eat it. I mean, 
Under the pavilion, she can barely eat, okay? It's like a roof, and she's like, okay, I'll eat it. But that, that's, that's just a stretch for her, okay? So that is how different we were, and yet we both thought, oh, yes, we like camping. We have something in common. Obviously, we've never taken a family camping trip uh, in the almost 10 years that we've been together. It just hasn't happened. Uh, we both like camping, but very different styles of camping. Well, camping came to my mind when I was reading this passage this week. Now, um, there's a, a, a real reason why it wouldn't come, by, come to the, the minds of most people as they're reading this, and it's not because I'm brighter than anybody else. It's just because it doesn't really come up in the English language translations. They all say something like, God came and dwelt among us, or God came and lived among us, or God came and stayed among us. But that's not, that is kind of the, the modern, that's kind of the translation that, that kind of makes most sense. But really, the, the original translation is just a little bit different. And, if you catch one of the older, older translations, it'll say something like this. Uh, like there's a translation from 1890. The Young's Literal Translation will say, God came and tabernacled among us. Well, that's not too helpful for most of us because we're like, tabernacle? That was some big weird thing in the Old Testament. But tabernacle is really a fancy old-fashioned word for tent. So, uh, and I didn't know that for a long, 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 long time. You know, I really wish I did as a kid. If some Sunday school teacher was teaching on the tabernacle in the Old Testament and they'd said, hey, kids, imagine the, the, the Israelites were all camped around the big top. You know, I would have had a totally different picture in my head. Or if they were explaining the, the Feast of the Tabernacles and they said, Hey, kids, imagine there was just this, this massive tailgating event. And I would have had a totally different picture in my mind and I might have connected with it more. But tabernacle was just kind of this uh, a way of talking about tents. And this verse literally says, He came and tabernacled among us, or He came and pitched a tent, or he came and set up camp in the midst of us. If you wanted to get real modern, you might say he came and backed up his RV right into his spot, okay? Jesus came and set up camp right in the middle of humanity. He came to our favorite park, to our campsite, right where we were hanging out, and he came and set up camp with us not in some other distant planet not in some remote part of the universe he'd been in heaven where we could never get to where we knew it was up there our father in heaven but he came right where we were to be with us God went camping and he chose to be with us wow well, then if you think about God camping, you start to wonder what kind of camping would God do? Because as my previous story about me and Denise, you know, tells, there's a lot of camping out there. There's, there's good old-fashioned tent camping, 
you know, Boy Scout trips and, and other types of things. There's survivalist camping, you know, you got to be a MacGyver to do. You, you really get out there in the wild and you, you trap wild game and feed yourself. You don't take Pringles. You know, you catch all your own food. And, and, and there's, there's all the way from the very basic stuff. And then there's this new term we have today called glamping. Have you heard of that? It's, it's glamour camping. And it's, so it's called glamping. And this means people who want to go camping, but they don't really want to be bothered by nature too much. So it's, they've got lots of money to blow and they still want, you know, indoor plumbing and all that, but they kind of want to be in nature. And, and so there's this real fancy, you know, high dollar retreat centers where they kind of get a little touch of nature. And we might think because God is the God of all the universe, I mean, he's got, as the Bible says, a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. We might think, well, God, oh, he's got all glory and honor and prestige. Of course, he's going to go the high dollar route. He's going to have the ultimate glamping, that glamour camping trip, right? But that's not what God chose to do. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus chose to do exactly the opposite, We learn from the book of Hebrews that he was tested and tried in every way as we were. So all the protections against temptation that God might have, where God can't be tempted, he stripped those off. And Philippians tells us in chapter 2 that he emptied himself and humbled himself. So he took all that away. All that power, all that prestige, all that luxury. And over and over throughout the Bible, we hear of him humbling himself, him lowering himself, him stripping himself of any glory and honor. And everything he did was to lower himself, to condescend, not in the way we use the word of, you know, we use it, in an ironic sense, when we say, don't condescend to me, we're saying, don't act like you're higher and mightier than me. Jesus really was higher and mightier than us. And yet, he really took himself down to this level. Everything he did was to say, no, don't give me the deluxe package. I'll take dad's old tent. I'll go to the army surplus store. I'll take the old worn out sleeping bag. Give me, give me the low bare bones stuff. I'll take the basics all the way around. And so Jesus took camping minimalist style. Not in a way that he was trying to call out anybody. But in a way that said, I'm going to be able to relate to anyone. I'm not going to come in a way that makes myself better than anyone. I'm not going to come in a way where people have to believe in me because I'm stronger or more powerful or have more social uh, clout, have greater armies, have more angels around me, any of that stuff. 
I left all that behind. And Jesus knew that he had access to these things anytime he wanted. The Bible tells us he could have called 10,000 angels like that. Could have taken him off the cross in a heartbeat. He was never at a moment where he could have, could have escaped if he wanted to. He didn't need the devil to come and rescue him as the devil tempted him to say, I'll get you out of all this, Jesus. Jesus could have got himself out of all of it. But Jesus willingly lowered himself. He willingly gave himself the lowest of low. But that leaves us with the question then. How was it? How was it then? In verse 14, when it says the word became flesh and his dwelling made his dwelling among us, or he, he chose to camp out with us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. If he chose the minimalistic package if he chose to reject all the extras, all the add-ons, all the bonus features, then what's this glory the Bible's talking about? Where is it coming from? It wasn't bells and whistles. It wasn't shiny gold and silver. Where does this glory that he's talking about, that John is gushing about, where does this glory come from? It comes, the Bible says, his one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And John teaches us here a lesson that is so important that we need to understand. All throughout the Bible, we're told that God is due glory and that we're to glorify him. We're to give him honor. We're to praise him. We're to glorify him. But there's not a whole lot of places where we're exactly given the reason why. And so this is so important. Because some of us, we have these theories about why we're supposed to give God glory. And, and some of them are really, really negative. Occasionally people think God's a big bully. And because he's just stronger than all of us, he's forcing us to give him this glory. He's a strong man, and just because he can, he puts his thumb on us and he forces us, and we have to give him glory just because he's bigger and toughest, tougher than us. No, <laughs> that's not it. That's, sadly, some people feel that way. That's not it at all. Well, other people say something that's, think something that's a little bit nicer about the God, and it, and it is true, it's, well, God's our creator, and he designed us to give him glory. Well, that is true. God is our creator, we are his creatures, and he did design us to give him glory. So that is a true statement, but that's not all of the truth. And there's an even better one when we, we say, well, God has loved us and done great things for us. Now, that's an even better one, an even better reason to give him glory and honor because we are appreciative for him. 
of all the things that he has done, all the ways he's amazed us. But I think what John is focused on here and the greatest reason for us to give God glory and honor and praise is not because of his uh, outstanding strength, the fact that he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful, he's, he's all-wise, he's omnipresent, all these great attributes of God about how big and powerful and mighty, all these things are wonderful and wondrous to our eyes and to our mind, but yet the greatest reason to praise him is for his grace and his truth. The fact that Jesus Christ, who God is, the Bible says, is God fully revealed. John says, nobody's ever seen the Father but Jesus. And Jesus is God. (laughs) He is like this with the Father. He was with the Father. He came down to earth to show everybody, here's what God really looks like. And so if you ever had any ideas about God being some big meanie, about God being somebody who's full of anger and wrath, and and God is somebody who's just some big bad guy who likes to tell people what to do, and God likes to be glorified just because he's some narcissist or something, John says, God is full of glory. And you know why we need to glorify God and give him honor and praise is because he is full full of grace and truth. And we need to give honor and glory to God who gives grace and truth and grace and truth because that abundant grace needs to be known to the whole world. There is a world out there that needs to understand grace and needs to understand truth. We're in a world that's full of two things, of judgment. Hey, try to say anything on social media that is remotely taking a stand one way or on the other, and there's judgment immediately. Every single day you see people getting judged online, judged. People love to jump on and massacre someone's, uh, their, their reputation. And we're also in a world that is full of lies. We talk about things going viral, fake news. We talk about people constantly spreading lies. And God is full of grace and truth. And so God does not want us to give him honor and glory because he has some little issue where he needs to be praised. God receives and deserves our honor and glory, not only because he created us and not only because he's blessed us, but because God is the source of grace and truth that this world desperately needs to hear and to see. And as his people who love him and believe him, we are to be singing, we are to be proclaiming his praises so that others will see his goodness and his graciousness and his truth. And that's not a hard thing for us to do if we're not completely ungrateful. If we've got any sense of gratitude at all, it's not something we have to think hard and make up about. It's just simply Hey, let's just start listing things that God has done for us. Because see, John talks about, uh, about how much we are blessed. 
Let's see which verse this is in here. Okay, verse 16. It says, Out of his fullness we have already received grace in place of grace already given. The translations do lots of different ways of wording this. But some of them say uh, grace heaped on grace. Some of them say grace on top of grace. Uh, The idea is that God has given us helpings of grace upon helpings of grace. It's like going to grandma's house and you're saying, I've had enough, grandma. No, you're still skinny. You need some more. Have some more of this grace. You have not had enough grace. Hey, oh, you know, you're not getting away from the table. You need some more grace. God is just like giving us helping after helping after helping of grace. God overflows us with grace. John says, He's given us so much grace that sometimes we've just forgotten about it. We, we've just, uh, just kind of gotten used to it. But we need to open our eyes and realize how much grace God has given us. God chose to go camping. And he chose to camp out, to set up his tent right here on earth. He didn't choose the deluxe options. He chose the bare minimums so that no one would think that his campsite was too good for anyone else. So that everyone would know that everyone was welcome. That his was a place where everybody could come by. That everybody could take part. That everybody knew that they were loved and they were welcomed. And that even if they kind of made a fool of themselves and even if they weren't, didn't follow all the right procedures, it was okay. That they'd still be loved and they'd still be his friend. And he wanted everybody to know that this was a place where they could receive grace. And you and I, those of us who've had time to drop by his campsite. That is, those of us who are believers, it's our job to spread the word. It's our job to tell others about the best campsite we've ever seen. It's our job to tell others about the best place, the greatest place they can ever go, the best friend they will ever meet, the most gracious person they'll ever find. And they'll find them in the person of Jesus Christ who will introduce them to his Father God, an eternal relationship. And we will become family with them just as Christ becomes our brother and God our Father. We will become family with those we share as well. Let's pray. God, we come to you, and we're so thankful that you didn't look at our campground and say that you were above us, even though you were. Even though there was nothing in our place that was more attractive than your place, you loved us, and you cared for us enough that you came to see us despite the distance, despite the difficulty, despite the death 
that you would face on our behalf. Father, we thank you that Jesus did not stay in that grave, that he came out of that tomb on the third day, and that he lives forevermore. And Father, just as he lives, we thank you that you gave us the resurrection power to live for you every single day. Father, give us the strength. Give us the courage. Give us the gratefulness to share and proclaim your name, your glory, to tell others about the greatest visit we've ever had when we came to know you. Lord, help us as we look at our lives, not simply to make silly short-term resolutions about something we puff ourselves up and we think we're going to do by our willpower and then we forget a few days later. Rather, Lord, we ask that you would help us to discipline ourselves slowly, day by day, to change by your Spirit's power. Lord, allow us to become more and more like Jesus, to fall more and more in love with you, to walk in a way that pleases you. Father, if there be anyone here today that's never become a friend of God, they've never joined the family, they've never believed that Jesus died to give them eternal life, Father, that today that they would come to that place of saving faith. Oh, Lord, if they don't understand it all, that they would seek and keep on seeking and keep on questioning until they understand, until they come to a place of faith. Father, if there's somebody who's come to that place of faith, but they have not yet shared that decision with anyone, Lord, that they would choose to not be a secret believer, but to choose to share that faith. Lord, and whatever decisions are weighing on hearts, Lord, I pray that your people would respond to you in obedience and faith. God, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.